of the Royal Alliance UK podcast episode 234 we found love in a hopeless place my name's Matthew Turner alongside my co-host Ashley Soden how you doing man I'm oh, doing good doing good excited for this uh, this week of football Thanksgiving the final week of college football it's all coming together for a great week of sport it's going to be a really, really fun one. I cannot wait. We are going to be previewing the Packers game right here. Of course, we have the College Football Podcast tomorrow breaking down that last week of the regular season of College Football. So don't forget to check that out. You also need to join our Discord channel. It's a great place to chat ball all year around. Links are in the YouTube chat and Twitch chat right now. Uh, please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast, rate and review, all that good stuff. And don't forget to add Lions Nation Unite on their Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash groups slash Lions Nation Unite. It's home and more's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. We're a Twitch affiliate. We're YouTube monetized. And we've got a tip jar down below. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to and you want to show some love, we would much appreciate that. But listening's all you need to do. That's that's all the, the thanks we need. And uh, there's a feedback form down below as well. So if you have any suggestions on how to improve the show... We'd love to hear from you. So head on down to the YouTube description, click the link, and I'll take a look. Finally, our merch store has launched, as is being modelled by the lovely Ash with the hat. And uh, I've got my new beanie coming soon and my hoodie. Ooh. It's going to be good. I can't wait. So just you, you just need a skateboard now, and you're the typical 2000s Avril Lavigne fan. I'm a typical 2023 Avril Lavigne fan, I think. <laughs> love that girl. Um, Mike Marine says, How do UKGB brothers eight and two? Which is a pretty sweet thing to hear. Right, some news to start. And Ash, you must be one of the first people outside Michigan to have watched Bye Bye Barry, which launched today on Amazon Prime. How was it? Really damn good. Obviously, before I want to say before my time, obviously, he retired the year I was born, but just seeing his journey because it literally does cover everything from him growing up to him obviously having his infamous two-week trip in London after retiring, just explains it all, breaks it all down, and just seeing some of the highlights that even I haven't seen before, just watching it, just like, yeah, I can get it. And it was sad at the end, just seeing his reasons for retiring and hearing about some of the stuff that happened with the team as well that pushed him towards that. It was an interesting watch. I know some some of the people featured in it won't be too happy, some of the uh, players mentioned what happened. You know, Scott Mitchell's come out on, I think it was Facebook, with a bit of an angry post about it. But for the most part, everyone kind of comes out okay. No one's really like villainized. So good watch. You haven't got, uh, haven't seen it yet. It's only about ninety minutes. Maybe save it for like for Thursday. It can be your entree to the Thanksgiving feast that will be this game we're about to preview. Uh, talking about Dan Campbell now and in in sequential order, he poured scorn on Chauncey Garner-Johnson and his Instagram live from the game on Sunday where he threw down the gauntlet to the Bears saying you've only got two or three weeks to sort yourselves out. 
there's some debate as to what he meant by that. Some people thought he, it meant that he could return after that period of time. I think the majority of people thought that. But watching it back, I don't, I don't buy that that's what he was saying. It's just we're playing the Bears in three weeks, so you better come with more than that is now how I'm kind of reading it. And Dan Campbell, Ash, certainly seemed to suggest that there's no way in hell he's coming back that quickly. Yeah, so I think it's that plus a couple of other posts that he's done throughout the past couple of weeks that do suggest he is really pushing to be back before the end of this, like of the regular season at least. So I think it's just Dan being his usual self of injuries. We saw it over the past couple of years where if a player is out for a lengthy period of time, he really doesn't want to say how long it will be because, for example, let's say with James Houston, he says, oh yeah, he's going to be back by the Denver game and then he's not. It kind of makes him look bad. It makes the fans worry because like, oh, what? Has he had a setback with his injury? What's going on? So if he just leaves the medical stuff to the medical department to sort out and he doesn't really touch it and say anything too specific, he's kind of protecting himself and protecting the player from any potential blowback if things go badly in terms of the timelines they give. And Bruce Irvin as well. Uh, Ash, you put this in that he's just been talking about him. So what's the update there? Not going to be playing this week. It's coming just a bit too soon for him with the short week. Obviously, came into camp fit, but not football fit. Plus, he needs to learn the scheme because obviously with the role that he's going to be playing, that sort of Sam linebacker. So I've got a pass rush, but you've also got to run defend. And as much as I hate it because of what happened in the Seattle game, you also do sort of have to sometimes drop back in coverage. It's just sort of getting him up to speed not only with the scheme, but also those football movements, because obviously he hasn't done it for nearly like 10 months now. So it's just getting back into the flow of things. So Green Bay's coming a bit too early for him. Maybe next week might be a bit better. I mean, we effectively get a mini buy. So hopefully that that buys him enough time to to get fit. But I mean, even if he does, he's on the practice squad. Do we elevate him? Do we have other injuries that we need to cover with elevations? Like there's no guarantee, True. even if he's ready to go, that he's going to get elevated. So... I guess we will see. Just a quick aside before we go into the preview here, there's a question I want to address, a very important question from Frank Ribble in the chat, who says, what's your favourite sweet pie in the UK? And I am struggling with this because I don't... They're not really as much of a thing here, I would venture. A sweet pie. We tend to be more savoury pies or meat pies, but sweet pies, especially like... I know the term pie is a bit loose because, like, is a lemon cheesecake a pie? Well, it's not because it's, like, it's a bit more cakey. But in terms of what a pie is in America, a pecan pie is not that dissimilar to a lemon cheesecake in terms of, like, how it's constituted. Maybe the base is a slightly different texture, but, like, it's basically the same thing. Carlton Wood says apple crumble. Apple crumble is absolutely there. It's not pie, though, is it? Is it? um, No, but apple pie or... Or, and it's going to sound weird because obviously the name of it, but especially with the season we're coming into over here, an apple, uh, mince pie. I love mince oh. pies. Oh, mince pies are the best. Exactly. It's for people who don't like us. I'm going to have to explain now. It used to, it was actually used to be made with mince, but now it's sort of candied mince, which is like uh, candied fruit peel that's in like a mincy shape. And it's just, yeah, it's like raisins and currants and, yeah, and like just, orange and stuff like that. And you can just yeah. kind of lots of really sweet, sticky fruit. It's lovely. Um, especially good with I know people like brandy butter and that sort of thing. I just yeah. quite like having clotted cream with it. 
Yeah, <laughs> same. Really nice. I don't like hot take. I don't like brandy anyway or Bailey's. So yeah, just give it me with clotted cream, bit of warm custard, a bit of ambrosia Devon custard. So I think there's a bit of of, of British American uh, stuff here going on because apparently apple crumbles a pie. So if it is, then it's apple crumbles pie. good. See, I think. What you guys call a pot pie is what we just call a pie. They're like, so like, for example, I think it's a key lime pie. That's what we probably class as a tart over here, a filled yeah. tart. There's yeah. a slight, yeah, there's that distinction. It's like a, like a quiche. That's not a pie over here, but because it's basically the same over there, quiche might class as a pie. I don't know. Yeah. For us, it, it, it has to be pastry on the side. Push, push the pastry mince pies of fruitcake. <laughs> I do love fruitcake as well. Fruitcake, especially with the marzipan. I'm like, I'm gonna expose but me and my mom here not, a bit. Yeah, but it's not a fruitcake. It's, 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 it's not, not a fruitcake. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not cakey, so it can't be a cake. It's, it's, exactly. Though so, oh, key lime pie, key lime pie is legit good though. I'm all aboard that that trend. Mississippi Mississippi mud pie as well. That's a Lost Ocean. I mean, oh yeah, Mississippi mud pie. Hell yeah. Lost Ocean's just said. Just grabbed his uh, Costco pumpkin pie, six bucks for a fourteen to sixteen inch pie. That's that's pretty Ooh. good value. We are making a pecan pie for Thanksgiving as well. We're going to start that I think tomorrow. Um, so we'll see how that comes out because we've never made it before. But I'm going to put loads of photos on social media about it on Twitter, especially. So come and critique me, roast me if you have to, but you can compliment me on my, my cooking skills as well if you want. Um, Mike Marie said, Matt, my wife and I just have mushed peas and shepherd's pie. That, that is actually a combination that is going to work for mushy peas. And there's not many things that work for mushy peas, but I can see that. that yeah. Or a bit of, bit of nice fit gravy on as well. Ooh. Billy says, I'm making an apple pie and cherry pie for Thanksgiving. Love it. That's it. Good. So I say, well, with Matt posting his uh, pictures on Thursday up on uh, social media, what's going to get roasted better, the turkey or Matt's food? <laughs> I'm sure they can both be crucified. <laughs> right, let's get on with this preview. Packers coming into this game at four and six. Their expected win-loss is 5.0, 5.0 per fo- pro football reference. So they have been unlucky to be a team under 500 to this point. They've had wins at Chicago versus New Orleans, uh, versus Rams, and versus charges so only one win on the road they've lost at atlanta versus detroit at vegas at denver and versus minnesota or versus minnesota and at pittsburgh so have they played any good teams they've not played any good teams i um, haven't even tweaked that hey they have they've played us we're a good team. I'm overlooking us because we're talking about that right now. Like, outside of Detroit. Like, Denver is probably the closest because that was after their really bad start. That was just as they were starting to Ascending, but like... Ascending, exactly, not yeah. Yet. Um, but the reason I bring all this up is you have a look at the NFC right now and the NFC North... They're not very far behind the the Vikings. We, you know, that the Vikings have played a game extra, so the Packers can get back to a game behind them. But if you have a look at the NFC playoff picture, it's it's absolutely staggering. But the Packers are very much alive, and this game will mean a huge deal to them. They will not think their season is done at this point in time. And let me just 
bring up exactly why that is. So they're not going to get to division winners. We can forget about seeds one through four, but five through seven, the Cowboys are seven and three. They can cakewalk the rest of their schedule apart from us. They're not getting there. The Seahawks are next up. They are six and four, having just lost to the Rams. And their next four is a fucking gauntlet and a half. The Seahawks are playing in order. 49ers, Cowboys, 49ers, Eagles, and then finish Titans, Steelers, Cardinals. I would argue that the Steelers are frisky and the Cardinals in division to finish is not going to be easy with Kyler Murray maybe playing to try and avoid a quarterback being taken to take his job. So they have got four games where they should lose all four. They should be underdogs in all four games. That will see them go from six and four to six and eight. So that really puts the cat amongst the pigeons. And then in the seventh seed at the moment is the Vikings. Well, the Vikings have a reasonably easy schedule, but they're only going to be one game back. The Vikings have us twice, but they also have the Bears next week on Monday Night Football, Raiders, Bengals without Joe Burrow, and the Packers. So they they go Lions, Packers, Lions to finish, which is just kind of harsh, but whatever. So they've got four division games, which we have actually, I think, as well. But Raiders-Bengals is easy. Like, there's no way you should be losing to the Bengals with the quarterback that they have starting the rest of the years. There's there's no way you should be losing to the Raiders if you're a easy, uh, serious team. But then Vikings-Packers, when the Packers are one game behind, means that the seventh seed is, or maybe even the sixth seed if the Seahawks fall off, is very much up for grabs. The rest of the guys in the picture, the Rams are also four and six, the Falcons are four and six, the Bucks are four and six. Even the Commanders are four and seven aren't out of this. It's wide open. It could be that seven to eight wins could get in on tiebreakers if everyone just kind of beats each other. So, Ash, if Green Bay win this game, they suddenly catapult themselves into being serious playoff contenders. I don't mean contenders for it all, obviously. I'm not done. But, like, they they go from thinking, well, if we get there, we got a chance, and we need to extinguish that fire. Exactly. Like, this... We're hearing that it's kind of like how the AFC was 10 years ago. You had like your sort of designated division winners, like the Chiefs, for example. They'd always seem to go like 10 and 6, win the AFC West and get into the playoffs. That's how we are now, just with the added bonus that the NFC South is back to being the NFC South. Like that's the division, if you remember, that produced two winners in two uh, two straight years with a losing record. (laughs) Like it's a complete and utter... To put it mildly, it completes another shit show. Like anything can happen. It's like the, it's like to use the an English terminology. It's like the glory of the cup. It's like the FA Cup. You can have giant killings every week. You can have uh, teams punching above their weights. You can have everything going off. It's going to make great viewing for us because we can be neutrals. We're kind of in the driving seat of our own destiny. Like I know the Eagles won yesterday, so we don't have that one seat just yet, but. We're pretty now done to at least be the third seed, I might argue. Like, whoever, like, 49ers, are, are, they, I can see the 49ers being the fourth seed, honestly, in their division. Four. Four, four in the artist of us. It's like the Eagles, us, and who's the, oh God, who's the South? Oh, South, of course, the NFC South exists. I forgot that yeah, for a second. Yeah, so they'd be the As I just seeds. mentioned it a minute ago, yeah. they're good. Yeah, 49ers going to be 30. So, we're going to be in those that mix, though. Us, I, Philly, 
I mean, it's going to be really interesting because the Niners, of course, have a lot of division games coming up as well. The Niners have got Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks. They've also got Cardinals, Ravens, Commanders, and Rams. The Rams are frisky. The Ravens are the best team in the AFC. Uh, Sam kind of frisky. Sam Howell, if he doesn't throw two uh, two interceptions, can win you a game. uh, Sam Howell plays better in the in the harder games. Exactly. Shits the bed in the easy games. And then, I mean, if the Seahawks decide they're going to turn up against the 49ers or they split that series, it's even better for us. So, you know, the Definitely. Niners don't exactly have a cakewalk. I would be very disappointed if we're not in two seats looking yeah. at Detroit. But coming into this game, anyone who's thinking the Packers are bad, they've only got four wins, they should be tanking, there is no one in Wisconsin feeling the same way that you do. That's just kind of well, my message. Yeah, well, to be fair, it does help. Obviously, I know you said that and uh, they're unlucky to be four and six. But I know I put it in the Discord today, there was a win probability added by luck that's done by a gentleman called Tom Bliss. The Packers are well on top of that with a plus 173.2% win percentage added by luck. The next team is the Chargers with 130%. Like the Packers... And they dropped the game against the Packers last week, so it would exactly. have been even higher if that wasn't included. Exactly. We're kind of middle of the road in that, just to say what we are. We are plus 17.3. Yeah, we've gained a little bit, but barely anything, really. Exactly. So, like, the Packers, they do reek in some ways of Minnesota from last year, where they are being a bit lucky in some ways, but they're just not having to come out in the one-score games like Minnesota did. Like, Packers can be frisky. They can play really good offense, like, as we're going to go into the bit. They did this weekend just gone. They played some really good offense with some injuries to some key players, but that and that defense has got all first rounders in it, including uh, like and Rashawn Gary, who is as much as I hate to say it, is one of the best editors in football. They can yeah. do things. It's just they're kind of like us. It just hasn't all come together in the best ways, and we just have the better quarter, the better, usually more stable quarterback to be the difference between us and them. It's like making a good cake. They just haven't stirred all the ingredients together. You bake it, it comes out the oven, it looks like a cake. If you bite into it, it tastes a bit like a cake. Every now and again, you get a lump of just uncooked dough and you're like, what the hell is that? Like, yeah. it, it, it looks like Joe a cake, Barry. but it's not quite. It's underbaked. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's like Joe Barry. Well, to, to bring up the guy again, because I love bragging on him. Joe Barry is the sous chef there and he is just not... He's not sitting in the oven to the right temperature. It's just... He's is reading it in uh, Fahrenheit instead of Celsius. So it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit too cold to bake the cake. Yeah, right. Let's get into this game in particular then. So Bet three six five have the odds this week for the Packers at fourteen to five, Lions at eighteen to five. On that translates to a seven and a half point spread in favor of the Lions. The over under is forty seven. On the injury report. Bear with me for this one. I don't know if actually we've had an update for today. Um, as yet. I haven't no. seen for, uh, for either side. Hold on. So no update as yet, at least not officially. Uh, there was a walkthrough conducted by both teams, I believe, because obviously only one day out of the games from Sunday. The estimated designation so far, are Jonah Jackson did not practice with a wrist. And otherwise, three people in full practice. Isaiah, Bu- Isaiah Bugs, sorry. Illness, but full practice. He has posted a cryptic tweet, which we're not going to talk about because, frankly, it's just a little bit boring at this point. Ifati Melifonwu had a hand injury, but he was full practice. And Frank Ragnar with the toe, he's going to be on every week. 
but he is full practice as well. The Packers, on the other hand, are 16 players deep on this, and none of those players had a full practice designation. In alphabetical order, because we're psychopaths. No, I'm gonna I'm going to amend it on the fly. <laughs> Did not practice estimated Devondre Campbell, linebacker, Josiah Doguara, tight end, Aaron Jones, running back, potentially ruled out for the game already. Tight end Luke Musgrave. Wide receiver Dontavian Wicks. He especially is interesting because concussion slash knee. Do not think if he's in the protocol, he has. I don't, I don't think. I think he must be ruled out because I don't think you can clear protocol in that time. And Emmanuel Wilson, the running back, also did not practice with a shoulder. Uh, limited in practice then. Jair Alexander and Corey Ballantyne, cornerbacks. Kenny Clark nose tackle. AJ Dillon running back. Rudy Ford, uh, free safety. Rashawn Gary. Line, uh, outside linebacker, Elton Jenkins guard, Keyshawn Nixon uh, kick returner kind of cornerback and Darnell Savage safety and Christian Watson wide receiver as well. So basically almost one yeah. third of their team is on the list. And I mean Ash, no position group seems to have been hit harder for me. Well, basically the entire offense. DeGuara and Musgrave in the tight end position. You've got Jones, Dylan, and Wilson at the running back position. And you've got Christian Watson and Dontavian Wicks at wide receiver, as well as Elton Jenkins at guard. Like the offense is just decimated. Yeah, well, that's not even mentioned, obviously, the fact that David Paxiari is critically injured all the time. So he's not there either. Like the big, and again, it's me kind of going by the scheme, the big hit for them is going to be their running backs. That's their top three running backs on a team that does the Shanahan scheme with a QB who is, for all intents and purposes, still a rookie, and they're all injured. Like, it's going to, that's a big hit for them because, as I say, Shanahan scheme, they're built off, off uh, outside zone, stretch the defences uh, horizontally with, uh, with the runs and hit play action when you get the linebackers out of position. If you don't have a healthy running back, how are you going to do that? Which is perhaps why they signed... One of my favourite former running backs the past couple of years, James Robinson, to the practice squad. So I'm a bit upset with that because I do actually like James Robinson. I think he's a bit underrated, especially with what he had to do when Etienne got hurt. But it's he's not he's not Aaron Jones. Like he might be getting up there, and he might be a bit overpaid for what he does. But Aaron Jones is a damn good running back. AJ Dillon, fire is like thicker than my head. Can absolutely bruise you when he wants to. He's going to be a big miss. Jordan Love's going to have to really put that team on his back this week. And it's going to be a big moment for him. We can see if he can finally do it, earn himself that sort of QB spot going forward. Or if he crumbles, they they might have to look elsewhere, but they've played themselves out of Drake May and Kayla Williams, in my opinion. So it might be down to the JJ McCarthy's of the world. Uh, let's, let's not stir up the Michigan supporters, shall we? Not when it's just us two. I mean, pay, uh, playoff pictures, uh, the next playoff picture is coming out tonight. I'm looking for that three versus four seed. No, two versus three with Michigan two and us three. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No, probably not. Uh, you mentioned David Baxiari on IR. Uh, there's also Eric Stokes, the cornerback. And then Darnell Savage was on IR. He's on the injury report now because he is going to be activated. Now he's limited in practice. So it's not like he's fully healthy and ready to go. He's still injured enough that he's 
got a designation. So how ready he'll be to go, I don't know. But this is a chronically injured team. Let's go through their potential starting lineup on the depth chart right now. So Jordan Love is the starter, ably backed up by everyone's favourite draft pick, Sean Clifford. Uh, running back, the currently active running back who is not injured is Patrick Taylor. Anyone? Yeah. Memphis. Yeah? Memphis. I know a tiny, tiny bit about him. It's like 28 day, he was a free agent in 2020, uh, UDFA in 2020. And he's just been around as like sort of, uh, if you remember, God, this is going to be a throwback to, for some people. He's kind of like their Zach Zenner, their Dwayne Washington, just someone who's always there at the fringes of the roster and never really went away. Like I can see, I'm on these our lads now. That's one, two, three, four, five. He's been bet- bouncing between the practice uh, the practice squad so much. He's t- he's nearly going to steal Dan Skipper's record for most elevations in the practice squad. Fair enough. Um, so Patrick Taylor, and then of course you mentioned James Robinson. Appears very likely that he's going to get called up. I can't imagine Aaron Jones will go, and with Wilson banged up, you've got to elevate him just to be RB two at the very least. Uh, wide receivers. Headed up by Christian Watson, the absolute beast of a wide receiver in terms of physicality. Hasn't quite translated into the NFL as yet. Had a breakout month where he got like eight touchdowns last year or something in like four games. But other outside of that, struggled with injury and struggled initially with drops. Uh, but it's a really young and exciting wide receiver called Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Samori Torre, Malik Keith. Um, and... They have been interesting the last few weeks. I'll say that. Uh, you know, well, it, I don't think it's underdoing it. Yeah, well, you explained it pretty well. They're young. All of them are either rookies or they're in their second year in the league. They have no one who's played more than a season and a bit in the league. And you're expecting Jordan Love, who, again, saying it again, is basically a rookie wide receiver to throw to basically rookie wide, uh, rookie quarterback throwing to rookie wide receivers recipe for disaster like there's good players there like Jaden Reed having a really damn good season the former Spartan Dubes obviously me Anton Roy loved last year coming out from Nevada was sort of possession receiver he's been doing things in the red zone for them Watson has all the potential in the world just hasn't put it together yet Dontavian Wicks is a kind of underrated sort of fourth fifth receiver like he can do a bit of everything kind of like what we expect from Khalif except for Khalif's got the separation for days while Dontavian's a bit bigger. Torre's a burner. Mm. He's huge, exactly. Torre's a burner. Not even I know that much about Malik Kiff off the top of my head, but mm. they can do things if it all just comes together. Yeah. And it just hasn't. And it's still exceptionally young when it comes to the tight end core as well. Took two in this most recent draft. Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, and then still on his rookie contract, I believe, Josiah Deguara, and then Ben Sims behind that. And the starting O-line at the moment, Rashid Walker, Elton Jenkins, if he's fit, I think it, it's expected he probably will be fit. Josh Myers, John Runyon, and Zach Tom. And then some recognisable guys behind that as well. Josh Neiman, uh, Sean Ryan, names that we've all heard as their backup offensive linemen. Ash, those tight ends. I mean, Musgrave has had a, a quietly good year. He's not been as good as our guy. But when you consider how hard tight end is to translate, I would say that he's been above average in terms of expectations. Yeah, definitely, 100%. And, well, uh, he's been good. Kraft hasn't been so much. 
Jose Aguara, let's be honest, he's basically their fullback. He that's all he really does is that hitch back role. Doesn't really play in line for them. And Ben Sims, as you said, he's a rookie as well. So they've kind of gone young there as well, which obviously they kind of had to since Deguara was drafted, Ben Rogers around, and they've still delivered that. So they kind of had to. Moscow's been decent, but yeah, when you compare him to a certain other rookie tight end, we know a lot about nothing in comparison. Like they must be sort of hit. This is the first of maybe two position groups we're going to talk about with rookies that perhaps the Packers might be hitting themselves against uh, their heads against the wall going, why the hell did we let this happen? Mm. Moving on to the defence, playing in a base 3-4, Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, the starters, but Carl Brooks is back there and he's having himself a terrific rookie season. Outside linebackers, Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, backed up by Kingsley, Enigbare and Lucas Van Ness. Inside backers are Devondre Campbell, and Quay Walker, but backed up by Isaiah McDuffie, who I think is also having himself a pretty good year. DBs are Jair Alexander and Carrington Valentine, backed up by Keyshawn Nixon and Corey Ballantyne. Corey Ballantyne, not to be confused with Carrington Valentine. They're not the same person. And the safeties, Rudy Ford and Jonathan Owens. Uh, kicker is Anders Carlson, the rookie. Punter is Daniel Whelan and the long snapper, Mark, Matt Orzich. Um, Ash, this team is is just weird on defence because, as you were saying at the top of the show, a whole host of, of players have come out of the first round. And if they haven't come out of the first round, it's because they've been damn good players otherwise in sort of Devondre Campbell breaking out with them a couple of years ago and... You know, Rashawn Gary's obviously been terrific and Kenny Clark is who he is. And Carl Brooks taken late, I think, sixth round. A sixth round, yeah. But he's been fantastic. Lucas Van Ness has hardly played as a first rounder this year. It's loaded with talent and it's it's been fine, but it's been nothing more than that. I don't want to say they're bad because I don't think they are, but then they're, they're unremarkable. And it's all because of the play caller, as I keep saying. When you've got Joe Barry as your defensive coordinator, you can probably have an all-star of like players. You can probably put, stick Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and all these players on there, and you still probably would give up like 25 points to teams as points just because the play calling is so vanilla and so bad. Like Rashawn, like Rashawn Gary earned himself that con that contract extension. Like he does carry this defense. Like they've gone other days a couple of years ago when you had the Smith brothers sort of tearing you up. You had Kenny Clark scaring you. It's like Campbell's regressed a bit from last year that earned him that contract. Gary's still come, he's come back from that, uh, from his injury and he's playing well. Gray Walker is still doing Gray Walker things as we all remember from the field goal earlier this year. Wyatt, slowly might be starting to come up to that sort of first-round pedigree where they picked him. Like, he's been pretty good this season. And then, yeah, as you say, Kenny Clark's just Kenny Clark. Like, he's always going to be good. And But the back, just the back end is just... You could excuse it a bit because there's obviously no names. Like, Corey Ballantyne, you might remember, we had him for one game as a punt returner. He got injured. And now he's basically their cornerback three. Like, it's not exactly a good name. It's like sort of 2021 Lions where you're kind of, aside from Jeff Akud and Amani, who we all know, it's kind of to outsiders, it probably be no names. That's what it is here. Like 
Darnell Savage coming back from him is not really going to do much because he's not good at free safety. So they tried him in the slot and he's even worse there. Like they're scrambling, which is why they picked up last week Kai Blue Kelly from the Seattle on waivers. Really good man coverage corner. So they pick him up when they're a zone heavy team. They're really scrambling on the back end to make something work because it's not going good at all. It's like looking at us, uh, us, but even worse because they arguably have more talent and are playing worse because of the play calling. Let's come on now to each side of the ball in a bit more detail. First, some overall stats from PFF and DVOA. This team by PFF are joint 18th overall, 76.1 grades. That's 18th on offense, 69.5, and 17th on defense, 72.8. So remarkably consistent as like the average team in the NFL, basically. DVOA has them 21st overall, 19th on offense, 24th on defense. So slightly lower by that metric, but but not very much. And I mean, it's saying that the defense is worse than the offense, which I find interesting. Uh, by EPA per play, so I know you like that. I didn't put it in the metrics, but but there we go. They are on offense, 13th, on defense, 14th, which adds up to net EPA of 15th. So, again, we are talking about basically the most average of average teams that happens to have just lost one more game than it should. This is a 500 team. If we've ever seen yeah. one, it is the epitome of one. It's not sorted itself out on one side of the ball. It's being plucky on the other. And, you know, it's kind of sorting itself out. Looking at the offense in particular, they pay 11 personnel, a heck of a lot more than anything else. 12 personnel then backs that up. And then they haven't played anything more than 21 snaps in any other alignment than that. So that's 63% 11 personnel, 29% 12 personnel. In 11 personnel, so 63% of the time, they pass 73% of the time out of that formation. In 12 personnel, they pass 45% of the time, so more run than pass out of 12. In terms of EPA per play in those situations, they losing they are losing EPA in 12 personnel when they're running the ball, and they're barely gaining any in, in 11 personnel when they're passing the ball. So that tells you what they're struggling in on offense. And teams have met them in a variety of formations kind of spread out and it's more spread out than I've seen from basically any other team. There's more variations of nickel in there in terms of 4-2-5, and then dime, 2-3-6, 1-4-6 formations. That adds up to about 60%. The rest of the time, you've got uh, some base, but 3-4-4 or 4-3-4 adds up to 27% of your plays. The rest of the time, you're in a bit more of the funky formations that you don't see very often. So they like to teams like to mix up on defense against the Packers, which I find really, really interesting. And I think part of that is Jordan Love is basically a rookie quarterback, and they're just trying to muck him up a little bit. And talking of Jordan Love, 203 completions this year on 340 attempts. That's 59.7%. 2,331 yards. 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. It's a passer rating of 83.8 and a QBR of 47.4. It's a PFF grade of 70.7. So he's had an above average season, apparently. AJ Dillon, he's the lead rusher because of Aaron Jones having his injury. He has 117 carries for 405 yards. That's three and a half yards a carry and one touchdown. You're not winning with stats like that. Also caught 19 balls out of 30 targets from the backfield. That's that's a really bad rate for a running back. 
you should be talking 80% plus, but that's just a nick above 60%. 169 yards for him and a touchdown. PFF grade, though, is 73. And I think that that is going to tell its own story in just a moment. Leading wide receiver in terms of in terms of yards is Jaden Reed. Five rushes for 61 yards and a touchdown. So he very much can carry the ball. And when he has, he's got 13 yards of rush. 32 receptions as well and 51 uh, throws his way. 463 yards. That's 14 and a half yards a catch and four touchdowns. His PFF grade is 68.8. And the leading tight end is Luke Musgrave. 33 catches on 45 attempts, 341 yards, 10.3 yards per catch, and one touchdown. PFF grade for him of 62.7. Other good grades in there? Zach Tom is the highest graded player on the team, the right tackle. We really liked him coming out of the draft a few years ago, and he has delivered for them. He was a backup for a little while, coming into his own now. 78.8 for him. Romeo Dobbs is the highest graded wide receiver on the team, 71.8. And the guard, Elton Jenkins, is having a down year by his standards, but it's still a very respectable 67.4. The bad grades. Guard, John Runyon, 53.5. Guard, Royce Newman, 46.1. Tight ends rookie, Tucker Craft, 44.9. Draw your own conclusions from those grades. Efficiency metrics. On third down, they're 43.5%, which is eighth. On fourth down, they're 55.6%, which is 11th. But in the red zone is where their struggles come. 16 touchdowns on 34 trips is 47%. That's 27th in the NFL. So, Ash, a lot of data to kind of look at there. But it boils down to receivers and running backs and quarterback doing well in trying to overcome an offensive line that's really, really struggling. And when it gets to third down between the 20s, they're overcoming that. But when it comes to condensed fields in the red zone, they can't convert the short yardage situations. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to sort of go back to you said about the form, defensive formations. That might, it, I agree, it's definitely a byproduct of teams trying to mix it up with Jordan, give him some hard looks. But it's also the teams have played because they have played a pretty wide variety of schemes. So played Chicago, New Orleans, us, Las Vegas, uh, and and that's it in terms of four uh, in terms of four threes. But then they've also played Atlanta, uh, Las Vegas. Also played quite a lot of three, uh, three four, depending on the looks. Denver are three four, Minnesota are three four, Rams are three four, Pittsburgh are three four, Chargers are three four. So they faced a good mix of sort of even fronts and odd fronts. And yeah, and some of those defense coordinators are tricky. Like Brian Flores, for example, he really does. Uh, who's obviously now the DC for Minnesota. He loves mixing up his looks. Pittsburgh, they're pretty crafty sometimes with their looks as well. So it's a combination of obviously teams trying to confuse Jordan, but at the same time, just the fact they've played quite a large variety of different schemes. It's not like us where we've played quite a lot of traditional, like sort of three, four, so defense on the back end Fangio schemes, because that's kind of what we have. Like obviously this is our second game against Packers. They run that. Chargers run that. Denver run versions of that. So we've seen that in the bits. It's kind of a bit of both. But they've seemed to do quite well against, as I said, like they get some positive EPA against Nickel, which is kind of surprising considering that's usually uh, interception formation you face. So getting 0.05 EPA per play against that is kind of interesting. 
so you look at it deeper, deeper in some of the stuff like some love. Yeah, he's it's having a quietly good season in terms of grade for passing sixty nine point one. It's also just as good as in the run. That's probably what's popping up his stat is the fact that he's been kind of good at running the ball as well. It's made him look overall better in terms of grade than just the passing, which kind of makes sense considering how he is and considering what we're saying about the offensive line where he is kind of having to extend plays, get on the move because. Let's be honest, the interior has given up a lot of pressure. You look at their pass blocking grades, they're not the best. I mentioned that in week three when we played, and I was like, really target Josh Myers and that because they can't he can't handle the pass rush, which is why Aleem's probably gonna have another good game here. Like he had a really good game against the Bears, in my opinion. He's gonna continue with that again today. Well, today, I hope so. Thursday against Packers. AJ Dillon, if he's fit, he can do some stuff between the tackles. But at the same time, we saw this uh, this uh, against the Bears. If we run blitz correctly, which we have, we did then, we can get TFLs. Look at Brian Branch. He got like three, four TFLs. Including that one where he was quite obvious he was coming. He was literally standing right up Aiden Hutchinson's backside. He, we all knew he was coming, yet they couldn't block him and he got a TFL on Herbert. And looking at wide receivers, pains me. I'm actually not worried about Christian Watson, despite him being the big name in that receiver room, it is Romeo Dubes, uh, Dubs and Reed I'm worried about because Dubs has that physicality and that's something we kind of struggled against this season. Look at DK Metcalf. And then Reed has actually been quite a decent route runner. He's been better at route running than I thought he would have been coming out of uh, Michigan State. Like looking at, I think there was his touch, was it his touch, his touchdown he's got in the same games? Uh, I think it was yes, last week. That was a really good route from Hiram there. So they're the ones that worry me because Jerry might not be able to keep up with sort of the hit flipping of Jaden Reed. But at the same time, you match up against Dubes, who maybe has a bit better on. Dubes is a lot taller, so you just throw fades on him. It's going to be a tough day in the secondary against these receivers. We're going to have to sort of count on over-frozen inaccuracy from Love maybe to defend some deep shots. and Because that's been our weakness. But the past two weeks, Keenan Allen got over the top of us a couple of times. Last week, Tyler Scott, if Justin Fields could hit Scott on that deep route, things might have been a lot different. So it's going to be another tough day in the secondary, but I think up front against the run game and this offensive line, we should have some success. You posted it in the Discord, but I'm going to say it now. There's been an update from Adam Schefter while we've been on the air. Packers running back Aaron Jones has an MCL sprain, would be considered week to week, but is unlikely to play on Thursday, which is a big boon for the Lions. Shame for the neutral as he would be a bit of an equalising force, but he won't be there, which means that if anyone, if, if AJ Dillon is fit, he'll be the lead back. And if not, God knows what they're going to do. Right, let's t- turn our attention to the defence. And this defence plays the majority of its snaps in 2-4-5, which is really interesting. So obviously play a base 3-4. I imagine that 2-4-5 is a bit more 4-2-5 with outside linebackers who potentially yeah. come up and almost it's, always are are blitzing into a four-man look. But you Yeah, know. it's TJ Slayton off, putting nickel back, because TJ Slayton's obviously then uh, nose tackle. So it's mm. him come off. It's what the Bears do, uh, not the Bears, the Rams do. Remember our first show where we've copied mm. them, it's take off the nose tackle, whack on whoever your nickel back is. Mm. Makes sense. So they play that 61% of the time. Base 3-4, 24% of the time, 4-3, 4% of the time, 
and see a conventional nickel 335 formation 6% of the time. So overwhelmingly in that 245 formation, and they face the pass 66% of the time in that formation. So having a look at the rest of it, there's nothing to write home about. When they're in 4-3, they give up a lot of EPA per play, but they've only played that 25 snaps at a time. So if you can ID a 4-3, pencil that in for some points for the Lions. Uh, facing that on offense, there's been a lot of formations out there, nothing to write home about, I don't think, with on a quick review of that information. Uh, but the statistical leaders for the team... We've talked about Quay Walker, and I mean, maybe we should take an over-under on how many referees he can push in this game, but he's had one <laughs> interception and a touchdown, three passes defended, 73 tackles, five tackles for a loss, a quarterback hit, and a PFF grade of 64.6. Rashawn Gary, one of the league's best, as we've said, a pass defended and a fumble recovery, five and a half sacks, 23 tackles, six tackles for a loss, 13 quarterback hits, and a PFF grade of 78 Rasul Douglas, the cornerback, is the interception. Uh, sorry, is the pass defender leader. He has one interception, six passes defended, a fumble recovery, thirty-two tackles, two tackles for loss, and a PFF grade of seventy-five point two. Rudy Ford, the safety, who may not play in this game, two interceptions. He is the leader in that category for the Packers. Four passes defended, fifty-eight tackles, PFF grade of seventy-two point four. Other good grades in there. Preston Smith, the outside linebacker, 73.8. Inside linebacker, Devondre Campbell, 71.5. And nose tackle, defensive tackle, whatever you want to call him, Kenny Clark, 65.8. There is only one bad grade in there, which is uh, Jonathan Owens. Yep. There we go. I was going to say Jesse Owens. I was like, no, that's someone else. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Owens. I put J Owens and I'm like, hang on a minute. Are we harking back to 1938 here? Jesus Christ. Um uh, you know, know Jesse Owens. Yes, good. Yes. Uh, I almost made a very big faux pas there. Right. 48.5 grade for him. He's the only person below 50. There's no one above 80. They're a very middle of the pack defense. Efficiency grades uh, on third down, 39.2% allowed is 17th. On fourth down, 58.8% allowed is 19th. But they do tighten up in the red zone. 15 uh, touchdowns on 33 trips is 45.5%. That's seventh in the NFL. So they're not good in the red zone themselves on offense, but they're not bad on defense. And Ash, having a look at, at those guys in there, it's clear that you're going to have to have a good day on offense to beat this team. And they're, they're no mugs. They have got players and it doesn't all come together and they do concede points, but you're not going to be scared of them, but it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise you to see them be productive either. Yeah. I know I say first off, as much as I like to rip into uh, Gudekunst, if he's managed to get a uh, clause in the trade with the Bills to have Rasul Douglas to come back and play this game for them uh, on Thursday, masterstroke by him. He goes from being one of the worst GMs in the league to one of the best if he's managed to pull that off with the Rasul Douglas trade to the Bills because obviously he's in Buffalo now, not Green Bay. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. You can still see leave the passes defended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's exactly. Nice, it? It's just silly. It just shows that obviously he wanted to get out. He wasn't happy with Joe Barry and he wants to go and get a ring. And maybe he picked the wrong team for that because ever since they played in London, they've been the worst team in EPA for EPA on defense. So maybe he's just a good player on a bad team. But yeah, joking aside, Craig Walker, when he's not being a complete and utter dumbass, can be a good linebacker. Maybe he was carried a bit by the talent at Georgia made him look a bit better than he was, but 
He's got some athleticism. And when things go right for him and he's calm and not being stupid and Campbell's there to sort of do most of the hard work and sort of let you leave him to be a point-and-shoot linebacker, he can be good. Rashawn Gary, again, pains me that he's really good because obviously we passed on him to draft a certain Iowa tight end who now resides in Minnesota. Before his ACL, the season before, he led the league in pressures, which again, pressures aren't everything, but it just shows that you're affecting the quarterback and he can do that when he's healthy and he's getting there again. Other than that, Campbell, Campbell's a decent linebacker, but not as good as he was the year before, but an all-pro, Kenny Clark. He can be a four still, but he's aging. He's not really having impact, which is why they tried to get the Wyatt in. And that's why they moved him sort of back to D-tackle instead of nose-tackle because it makes it a bit easier for him where he's not. He's getting it one-on-one. Preston Smith's a good second linebacker, uh, well, edge rusher. Dare I say, if he was on this our team, he'd have a lot more stats and a lot better grade because he can actually get to the quarterback. Imagine him and Hutch. That would be a really good edge duo. But yeah, you've you put it pretty much right. And we look at the PFF goes from live. There are a load of good individuals who don't really do much wrong aside from Owens, who's obviously got the bad grade. But they're kind of jack of all trades, master of none. There's nothing really jumping out at you saying, I'm the star that's going to take this defense from middle of the pack to great. They don't that they don't really have like an they don't have an Aiden Hutchinson. They don't have Dare I say a Kirby Joseph, someone just who, like, just, I'm just, well, not maybe not so much last week, but against the Chargers, him making that interception, Justin Herbert, did change a bit of momentum in halfway. They don't really have someone right now who can be that other than maybe Gary, but he's not fully back from the ACL yet. Maybe next year when he's a year removed from it and he's got all the football, he's got a lot more football under his belt, he can be back set, but right now they don't really have. For me, at least, someone who can be a game changer, someone who I'm like, him, he's the guy that really scares me. Right now, there's just a load of guys like, well, if he makes a play, I won't be surprised, but we can game plan around him. It's a load of players we can sort of game plan around and exploit their weaknesses. And the worst thing for this defense is, as I keep saying, we are built to uh, to beat this kind of defense. Our offense is the sort of anti-Vic Vic Fangio zone cover like uh deep cover sort of thing because we just have to it's designed just to cover the deep give up the middle of the field give up things short to death by a thousand cuts and we're just happy to do that we can just hit keep, keep hitting Sam Laporte down and Rafa 10 yards ago we're happy to do that and it's just going to pull off that it's going to play into our hands because the Packers will then have to adjust to beat that and they won't know how to and then suddenly especially with how he's been last week JMO if we keep hitting Amara and Sam Laporta short first, they're going to start creeping forward. It'll take one route from one room, uh, good route from JMO, one good ball from Goff, and we've got another six on the board. So it's just going to be, it's going to be. A, oh, fingers crossed, because obviously I said all this about the Bears, and it really didn't happen for three quarters. But if things go back to how they usually are for us, this could be a really fun game for our to watch on our offense. It could be. Right, let's talk briefly about the Packers game against the Chargers before talking a bit more about those matchups in just a second. Um, offensively, oh, ugh, can I speak? Offensively for the Packers, 
in that three-point win against the Chargers. Of course, the Lions also beat the, the Chargers by three points. Uh, lovely passing by Love at Times. Some really good highlight plays in there. Some zipped balls on time, in stride. The touchdown to Romeo Dobbs, I think you might have mentioned it earlier, but it was absolutely spectacular. Um, so you could see that there was a, a bust in the coverage. Dobbs was meant to run a quick out and saw that in that there was a massive space behind the cornerback who was going to cover that route. So he just bailed upfield, stuck his hand up, and Love found him. Like, to do that sort of thing off script and get it accurate is impressive by both of those players, especially to be on the same wavelength to do that. Dontavian Wicks in crunch time had an incredible play. He had a third and long, caught it about three yards short of the line to gain, got hit hard. And I mean, it would have flattened most people, stayed on his feet, turned it from a fourth and short into a massive gain. Um, and that really put the Packers in position to score the late touchdown to win the game. And Jaden Reed just looked like a live wire all day. He took the the reverse to score the touchdown early. It was some great blocking up there, but his speed was fantastic and otherwise just had a, a good day. AJ Dillon had a reasonable day, I think, as well. Aaron Jones did too. I think the offense looked like it was, was rolling for the majority of the game. Defensively, stout in the red zone. The Chargers had plenty of possessions in the red zone, but they often led to field goals and they forced a fumble too in that area. But... I saw issues in the open field. We said it before between the 20s. It's not the best team in the NFL. And that's why I think you're expecting some really good things there. Just coming back to that offense, Ash, I, I, you mentioned that. I think you mentioned that Dobbs play earlier. Not, not. So, yeah. 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 Hey, did you watch the game? I watched, well, I watched highlights of it. Cause as I say, after I think after it, I was trying to get ready for bed because I had work the next morning. But I watched bits of it. And as I said, yeah, Dobbs play, that's the kind of Dobbs that we saw in Nevada with him and Carson Strong, if he can get that sort of like chemistry he had with Strong at Nevada, him and Love could be a really good duo. And obviously Wicks, as I said, can do that kind of killy thing where he comes in, he only plays like 15, 20 snaps a game, runs you a couple of weeks, but he can be there dependable when you need him to be. And then just say, Jaden Reed's probably their best receiver right now. And for someone who kind of was unheralded in that class as sort of, a punt return, a guy who can do some speed things. He's really turned into a really good wide receiver for them. And Love looked good. Like, I love ripping into certain Packers fans who, before the season, said that Love uh, had the potential to be the best. Well, Love was going to be the best quarterback in the division by the end of this season because he's going to have all this progression and he's going to learn to pass on that. He kind of showed a bit of that progression this uh, last week against the Chargers where he did, he had, as you say, really good passes. Yeah, he still had the characteristic sort of inaccuracies, but they didn't go for interceptions this time. They weren't turnover worthy. They were just slightly off instead of being five uh, yards off and easily interceptable. So he's slowly getting there, but it's still not fully there. He's still not going to be a sort of guy you can trust to throw 35 times a game, which they might have to on Thursday because of the running back injuries. So it just swings it in our favour a bit. Just want to give a late shout out to a couple of people who have donated. GA2Skip on Twitch. Apologies for leaving it so long. Subscribing with Prime for your third month, first month since uh, a little time away. And Skip, I'm not sure where Skip is watching from, but has tipped us $5 in the tip jar. Thank you very much, Skip and GA2Skip. Might even be the same person. Who, who knows? Not sure. Skip and GA2Skip? Maybe. Anyway, 
Um, let's come on to the the matchup. So the the Packers run offense versus the Lions run defense. Ash, how do you see that going in particular? Hopefully, very good for us because if we get torn apart by what's probably going to be backup running backs, that's not good for us. Like we were damn good against Chicago. Like I know, okay, it is again with the preface you take out Justin Fields' runs, but even then, most of his good runs came on passing plays where he had to bail from the pocket. When it came to designed runs, I'd run some Foreman, Herbert, and most of them for Rojo Johnson. We stopped them within a couple of lines of, uh, yards of the line of scrimmage. So if we do what we used to do against, like, for example, Alexander Matterson, he'd always go off for like 150 and two touchdowns against us. If that happens this week with Wilson or James Robinson, I'll be a bit concerned because there is a talent gulf between our de- the, uh, them and our run defence. We should hope, I'm fingers crossed, Alexander alone is getting like two TFLs and 10 tackles. Brian Branch is getting another TFL and quite a few tackles in the starting scrimmage. Jack Campbell, who I'm not cursing again by mentioning the tackle stat, but he has a kind of bounce back game against the run after he started off kind of shaky. I can see this kind of being a get right game in inverted commas in terms of perception for our linebackers against the run because they did do good against the Chicago. It's just because they started off so badly, you could see the missed tackles that went from a one-yard gain for Dante Foreman to six yards. Kind of get right against that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Jack Campbell had three quarters of absolute dross, but when when push came to shove in the fourth, he was elite. And that, that goes unnoticed when you've been bad for the entire game. But when it came to bringing it back, he was a really big part of it. And I hope that he can do big there. I mean... This is one of the bigger matchups of the game for me because if the Packers can run the ball, it's going to go some way to nullifying the lines in general. It's going to provide a stable fall for love to pass. So the lines have got to dominate here, and they should. Especially with interior pressure, you've got to expect that Aleem's going to have a really good game. Okay, so why not run off of your best tackle? Why not run off right tackle with Zach Tom? Well, that's going straight into Aiden Hutchinson's clutches. And that's the biggest matchup of the game for me. Aiden Hutchinson versus Zach Tom, two players playing really well in their respective positions. Whoever wins that tussle might end up winning the game. Expect the Lions to have a big advantage here, though. Uh, other, other side for the Packers in terms of passing offense versus the Lions pass defense. Lions pass defense has been low-key poor recently. And the Packers passing offense showing some signs of life. But... You know, you're talking about a passing offense for the Packers that was poor coming up to average and a Lions pass defense that was great coming down to average, Ash. It's a bit closer, this one. How do you see that? There I say, I can see them having some plays on us. Like, we can, we can play well in coverage, but for some reason, and it always seems to be in key moments, we just get a bit too into it and we give up equal contact penalties or there's a ticky-tacky BPI that kind of goes their way. Like, that's unfortunately something you're going to have to expect in this game is that there's going to be there's going to be some big plays given up, I think, especially since, she said, Jaden Reed's having a really good year. Dubes can just bully ball either of our corners. And Watson, if he puts it together, if he catches a few balls and gets back into his rhythm, he can pert as well. Like the key factor is going to be getting that pressure on just uh, Jordan Love. 
And unfortunately for people hoping for an Aiden Hutchinson return game or for Charles Harris or Roman Crara or Julian Crara to have a breakout game to sort of step up, it's not probably going to come from the tackles. It's going to come from that interior. We need Aleem to have another good game. We need to have Pascal and Kamish when they slide inside on passing uh, situations, them to have a good game because Tom is a good tackle. Like he in week four when we played him, he had a 70 grade. So he did reasonably well against Hutch. It's it's gonna really have to it's really gonna have to come from the interior for me. Target Myers, especially because I've seen I remember when I was watching the tape four week four, you can just get him with a swim move and Aleem is really damn good with that swim move. So him versus Myers is going to be a fun matchup to watch. Can't wait for it. A swim move and if that doesn't work you can just spin your way out of trouble. Exactly. Uh, Lions offense then run offense versus the Packers run defense. And I mean, on paper, the run defense of Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary with the inside backers, Campbell and Walker should be okay. And yet we know historically that the run defense has not exactly been a, a point of emphasis for this Packers team. Um, the Lions run offense obviously has been one of the better ones in the league this year. Top one running back duo in the NFL. So, you know, there's a lot to write home about for the Lions uh, on, on this side. How do you see this matchup? I'm having a look at the grades now. Packers are 17th in run defense. So not good, not bad. Yeah. I think this should be advantage lines. Yeah, especially since I'm going to bring in a little start of the EPA stuff. Before last game, the Bears were the fourth best run defense in terms of EPA. After they're now down to like 15th, 16th. And that's because you didn't you didn't even mention the bit that's actually the most important for me in this matchup. Our offensive line. Frank, Jonah is fully healthy, but if not, I trust Colby. Graham are gonna have pretty damn good games. Taylor Decker is really, as I keep saying, has really improved in the run game over the past year and a half. He's probably gonna be fair. I think he faces up most against Preston Smith, but we should be able to run it off him. So again, it comes to the matchups. Rashawn Gary versus Pene Saul. Who's going to win out? The former uh, NFL pressure leader or the tackle that's given up like, like the fourth least pressures and one of the best remote blocking grades in the country? A right tackle with Pene. And I have belief in Pene because that dude's just a monster. You get him on the move, you give him a bit of momentum, you can bowl over anyone. So we hopefully should have our full playbook open to us. But we've got to keep it varied. We can't just keep running it outside or running it inside. We have to keep mixing it up, match it, uh, mixing up the looks because if we get too bit too vanilla with the run game and they can start keying in, they'll be out. If we just keep running it inside, 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 they're going to work that out. Yeah, MK Majorly might mix it up, then do it to mix it up and bounce outside. But if we just keep doing one thing, they're going to catch on pretty quickly and shut that down. We need to keep varying it. One uh, one good run, we run outside with David Montgomery on that zone zone. Next run, Gibbs, in, uh, Gibbs on a counter. Just keep changing it, making them have to work out what we're doing instead of saying, right, we're just going to keep doing this. You stop us. Make them just throw so many, going to sound wrong, but just keep throwing as many different kind of juggling balls at them as you can. Make them catch them all because they won't be able to. They're going to drop some. And when they drop some, those are where the big plays are going to come in the run game. 
And then looking at the passing offense for the Lions versus the Packers passing defense and the, the passing defense for the Packers, it's it's not been amazing, I don't think, really. 12th in the NFL, you might say that's an improvement, but I don't buy it. Jerry Alexander's had a poor year by his standards. I mean, he's been heavily affected by injury, but who cares? Like, we're still playing this Jerry Alexander. Corey Ballantyne, I don't think, has been fantastic. Carrington Valentine's been there. Rudy Ford's been good, but he's injured. He didn't play last week, I don't think. Will he play this week? Don't know. Jonathan Owens has been the worst player on the team, potentially. And then they don't have Eric Stokes. Darnell Savage is going to be back, so maybe he replaces Owens. But you're coming up against, and you talked about the scheme, why this kind of works for us. When it comes to the sort of dink and dunk that we can do, that we showed off very well in both two-minute drives last week. I say last week, it was two days ago. You know, when it comes to facing people like Amamra and Gibbs and Sam Laporta, it feels like this is a big advantage for the Lions. It really is. As I keep saying, we can just dink and dunk, dink and dunk. And the second we see those safeties starting to creep forward, Jamer, we it's one of it's going to be one of those where whatever they kind of look, they show us on offense. We're probably going to have something to beat it, not only because of the personnel, but obviously because Ben Johnson is just really good at scheme. When he's in, when he's in, really in sort of form and flow with his play calling, he can call up some really good plays, especially partly because of personnel, but partly because he's so inventive. But even if they, for example, they shade Ford over to Jamo. That just leaves Laporte open on a seam or you send Khalif deep, something that we haven't really seen too much of this year. As even without saying the wide receiver who before Bears game, I think it's probably changed since then. The receiver with the best passer rating when targeted in the league, Josh Reynolds. Like we've just got an answer for whatever they put in front of us. We'll have an answer to. It's like walking into a maths test and you've already got the answers written on the back of your hand. Like we should, this should, for all intents and purposes, go well for us. The only thing I can see Stum holding us back is quarters one to three, Gotham last week returns. He hasn't shaken that off, but I think he has. Like, he showed that on the two-minute drive, the last four minutes to win the game for us. And it's just been the Goff we've known for the past season now, where he has adversity, okay, maybe he might get caught up in that, but as soon as he snaps out of it, we're back to good again. And I can see that for Goff, this could be... A, I know I said about it with the, uh, our run de- uh, like our run defense and perception. This could be the get right game for Goff. Perfect scheme for him to go against in terms of faith with our scheme. I'm a, and, and just not good. Like Joe Alexander could probably sh- maybe shut down Reynolds or Amon Ra, depending who's put on for about half the plays. But that still means you'll have JMO, Jet Leaf Raymond, Laporte, all these all these players who should get like three, four yards of separation. And that's where Goff is his best is finding the open receiver and hitting them. So I can see this really being a good game for Goff. Like I'm not predicting like 400 yards, five touchdowns, because I also expect the run the art of run game to be good so we won't have to lean on Goff. But when we need Goff to maybe throw a good pass on like a third and six, I can I think we can count on him to do it. We've kind of covered some of this, if not a lot of this already, but when it comes to sort of game scripting this up for the Lions, you've talked about the sort of dink and dunk and stuff like that, but are there any sort of schematic things on either side of the ball you want to see the Lions do to kind of 
craft out the victory. I know in previous weeks, especially with guests, I've kind of said, imagine you've won, how did you do it? And it's all that sort of similar vein. What, not just let's dink and dunk it down the field, because that's kind of just a, a, a general point, but very specifically, is there anything you want to see maybe in terms of deviations from what we normally do? Or do you think it's just a matter of being who we are? What do the Lions need to do to win this game? It kind of it isn't a deviation because we have been doing it more, but blitzing linebackers. But Anzalone, the past couple of weeks when we've been doing it with him, has been elite at it because he has that quick twitch where he can sort of fake a zone drop. And then as soon as he sees the A gap come open, he just goes through it. Continue doing that. Mix up the looks, especially with the linebackers, to confuse love because up front, let's be honest, we know Aaron Glenn, and I said it yesterday, he's probably going to be quite vanilla with the looks. Like the stu- Well, that's one thing. Bring back the stunts from the first couple of weeks. I haven't really been seeing them. Remember like the first couple of weeks where we had Hutchinson dipping inside of Aleem? So yeah. Hutch would be lined up at our left end, Aleem next to him at like the three. Dude, where's that gone? Yeah. We've just been rushing straight forward and then blitzing linebackers occasionally. Start bringing them back. Blitz a bit more because, yeah, we've been doing it, but we haven't been doing it that much. Use Barnes in as well, former per, uh, linebacker, uh, Ezra Shutt Purdue. Campbell, don't line him up as a Sam. That's where you use him in pass rushing. Blitz him because he's got that massive RAS score that he's got, and he's got the frame. For me, so that's what it is on the, uh, in terms of defense and then offense. I know we say dink and dunk. Two back sets. We used two back set with both Monty and Gibbs once against the Bears, once. I want to be seeing 10. 10, you run it with Gibbs on like four, Monty on three, and the other times you you have them run routes. Just keep mixing it up with those looks because they won't be able to defend both at the same time. There's no way. Either you load up the box anticipating the run and you can check into a pass where Monty goes on the wheel routes and Gibbs goes on an angle routes, or... They see it and they still fear our pass game. And then you've got two of the top five running backs in terms of EPA, I think, from what I posted on Discord earlier, to run the ball. It just opens it so much more and it just confuses that defence who's going to be vanilla is enough anyway and confused. So just add that confusion to them. I'm not saying bring back the Amon Ra play where he's getting a toss and he has to throw the ball to Khalif. Like, don't get that fancy because that was dumb. Just mix in those kind of looks where you are being a bit exotic while still running kind of, I don't want to say simple plays, but you're at least sticking to the basics. You're not asking to play too much of certain players. You're just putting them in the best positions to win because that's supposed to be our entire mantra and it hasn't been done as so much this season with both on offense and defense. Just get back to doing that. Yeah, I think I think for me, what I'm looking for is just to make this game really simple for us Yeah, because I... I don't think we need to do anything more than run the ball in this game. I, I I hear you talking about the dink and dunk, and I definitely see that as a schematic advantage. I don't think that defensive line can stop our offensive line. I think we could bully this team. And if we can do it entirely on the ground, take it out of Goff's hands, give him a bit of a breather. Maybe that opens up the play action game that we so like to get him into, one of the best in play action in the NFL. And he does it very often quite early which I yeah. think maybe contributed to the problem last week. It's worked for him recently before that. But, you know, maybe this time, maybe let's establish a run first up because I don't think they're going to stop us. So get Monty going, get us into really good situations, 
maybe even play a bit of field position game because I don't think that love is necessarily going to hurt you particularly. Just avoid three and outs, pin them deep, force them to go the length of the field. You're not playing a Justin Herbert here. You know, you're not you, you're not putting the ball in his hands going, ah, shit, maybe shouldn't have done that, you know. And I mean, yes, the Chargers only scored 20 against the Packers. So we're going to have to take things as we can. You know, this Packers defense is no mugs either. But I'm seeing us making those marginal gains. And then on defense, you're right, I think, about just confusing love, giving him stunts, giving him looks. But also just he's another quarterback that can do it with his legs a bit. And I do not want to see us giving him too much because I do not fear their running game at all. I do not think that their running game can do anything against us. We're still the second best rush defense in the NFL right now. And they are awful running the ball. So force Love to throw. Don't let him get out of the pocket. And just say to him, if you can throw the ball to your receivers over our DBs, which he may well do, you know, but you still got to force him to, to make you win that way. And I might even be tempted to do that by dropping another guy into coverage, just daring him to run that ball because I know they can't do it and I know we're really good at stopping it. So give our guys on the back end a bit of extra cover and say to Love, you are going to have to dink and dunk it down the field if you are going to make progress down here and we're not letting you get out of the pocket, which I guess is kind of hard with less guys on the D-line, but I still feel like it's going to be a way to win. So dropping eight more than we do normally. I would like to blitz more than normal and drop eight more than normal. So actually, maybe it's not about being who we are on defense. It is on offense. We're a running team. Let's make them running plays ourselves. But blitz more and drop eight more and keep him off balance. And I think actually, if we can do that on defense generally, I think that would be a really good thing because I think we've got far too predictable, which is why we don't get home. They know exactly what to expect. And you know what? We're hoping our guys are just better than their guys. But when it comes to it, Scheme helps. And that's why our offense has been so good. Is our offense genuinely person to person better than anyone else in the league? I don't think it is, really. But the scheme's so good that it just works for everyone. It plays to everyone's strengths. It enhances the team. And we don't do that on defense. Yeah. You say you saying about we're hoping for our players to be better than their players and doing that. And this is going to be a sore name for both of us, I think. That sounded a lot like what Stephen Gerrard was doing. Hoping for moments of magic, I believe his catchphrase was. We just needed a moment of magic. That's what we're hoping for. We managed to get one last week with Hutchinson forcing the fumble for the safety. We Against the Chargers, it was Kirby coming down with that excellent interception. For the most part, like week one against Mahomes, uh, Big Branches pick six. Those sort of big sort of defensive performances in verticoms we've had, we've had those moments of magic. And we haven't really, it's been from the players rather than from the scheme. So I agree. Yeah. Put the, use the scheme to put the base in the best position, which we haven't been doing. And then again, you said about the field position. Good point because I've seen it come up from the Lions PR. Jack Fox right now has the second best percentage of his punts landing within the opposition's 20. So this is the perfect, it's the perfect day to continue doing that. As you said, I have a third of the fear of Jordan Love. Going the field down the field against us than I do Justin Herbert and such. Like if it was again again, if it was the Chargers all over again, maybe yeah, you would be going for those fourth downs. But if it's sort of like fourth and fourth and uh four like there fifty uh, forty seven, maybe I'm trying to I'm trying to find out the perfect range where it doesn't sound too like it would be in that sort of range where between going for it and punting. 
I would side with the punter as you say, just pin them deep, say to them, okay, you need to go 80 yards, have fun. It might lead to situations where, okay, yeah, maybe they might win the time of possession battle, but that's not the worst thing because as we showed last week, we can go. We we can go. We can when we need to. We can go exactly. So I'm hundred percent like, for that. We want to avoid the slugfest, and yeah, people might say you avoid the slugfest by putting points on the board, creating distance, putting them under pressure to score. But I think that we do that by avoiding going behind, even to field goals. And the way you avoid doing that is don't give them good field position, especially when you don't believe in their quarterback. I do not believe in in Jordan Love as a viable quarterback in the NFL. Not right now, anyway. And so put it in his hands. Let's see him. Let's see whether he can do it. Let's be having you. Um, (laughs) uh, We've got one question which I just want to address, um, and then we're going to talk briefly about the rest of the games before wrapping this up. Brent DeWitt on YouTube says... How much do you think the Packers will try and plug up our middle routes like the Bears were doing most of the game? You've been talking about this quite a lot, but just to reiterate the point, talk about maybe why that... I mean, they could adjust completely what they do because they've seen what happened last week, but what what do they do normally? So they run a kind of... if It's the old Fangio scheme where it's kind of... You have all your corners and your safeties back deep and your linebackers are basically just on their own covering between like the base of the line of scrimmage and like the 15. They won't do what the Bears do, which is they run the sort of more Seattle three where you have those sort of your corners a bit further forward. It's cover free. Well, they have to call that back. We have a safety down as well. It's cover free. So if you remember Legion of Boom, you have to camp Chancellor doing what basically Brian Branch does for us right now. That's not what the Packers do. They just have everyone deep play quarter, uh, quarters coverage and whatever you want to do between the line of scrimmage and maybe like the 10, 15 yard line. They're like, okay, we'll give it up because it's more about designed to not let you beat you deep rather than just giving up the little stuff. They're all about stopping the big explosive plays. And it just, but they haven't been doing that either. Like we saw it when we played them, like we gave up, they, we got some really big plays on them, but they're for the most part, Barry, Again, everyone might remember him. Is the guy who got his job because he married the coach's daughter. He just puts his players in that kind of position where it's like sort of simple quarters coverage. Don't get beat deep. Let them have five yards every play. And it's just, if they adjust, well done, Joe Barry. You've done your first adjustments in your coaching career. Well done. I'm very proud of you. But even then, the personnel isn't the best. If they start creeping a safety forward and going to more like cover three, cover one, like kind of like what we do, that's just inviting Jemo to beat them deep. And as we saw last week, he can he's starting to get there again. I know we had that moment of faith against the Bucks and it kind of fell apart. That's because we stopped using him like that. I have faith that Ben Johnson now has realised, okay, that's how you use him. And we start using him more on those corner posts, seams and stuff. You still mix in the sort of wide receiver screens and stuff because you've got to use his speed in the best ways you can. But for the most part, he is a... You send him deep, he uses his eyes to track the ball rather than him have to instinctively go for a wide receiver screen. So even if they do adjust, we'll have the things to beat them because got Jamie can go be deep. Josh Reynolds, until like week seven, all of his catches either went for touchdowns and first downs. So he can be used deep as well. Khalif has been underutilized in that deep game for some of his speed and separation. So no matter, even if they do start adjusting and bringing those linebackers forward, bringing safeties forward to cover it, we can adjust as well. Like it's 
it's well, one, it's half a dozen of one, and uh, well, six of one and half a dozen of the Packers either they stick to what they do and they give up 120 yards and a touchdown to Amon Ra and another five catches for 80 yards for Sam Laporta and maybe a couple for Gibbs and Monty, or they think that's how that's what they do. We need to beat that, and suddenly we can use the play action to get JMO. You might have like two catches, but they'll be for like 150 yards and two touchdowns. It's they're really screwed no matter what they do, in my opinion. Just trying to think of a particular play myself. I mean, I'm kind of thinking that JMO doesn't have to be someone who just stretches horizontally. And we've kind yeah. of, there, there's certain situations where it's definitely going to work. If you had some sort of condensed bunch formation, let's say the, the play is being snapped from the left hash. Um, if you had JMO just outside of an inline tight end uh, on the right hand side, and if you go play action, there's no reason why JMO can't run a seam 15 yards and then go quick out and stretch horizontally yeah. and be a guy catching at the sideline. Like that speed's going to come into usage going up the field or across the field. Yeah. And I don't really see much of him trying to do that. I do think he can do it, though. I'm pretty sure I've seen him at Alabama do similar things. And I don't think we've used that very much either. So trying to mix in stuff like that, I really think he could do. Yeah. But so, yeah, I even know. the simple routes that we've seen from him so far that you're talking about would be great. And then you're saying that, and I've managed, oh God, it won't be able to show properly. Yeah, but no, I see it. There. That is JMO, there's Laporta. Just have him do that, as you're saying. It's simple stuff like that. We've done it before, so I think... So it's deep. Uh, it's called Play Action Deep Comeback Slash Circus. Last year, we averaged 10.1 yards a play from it. So it's stuff like that, as you say. We have it in our repertoire, it's just finding putting him in those positions because yeah it's either been you send him on streaks all the time and you, he has like a 33 percent catch rate on them because he's having track the ball or you we've just been doing the wide receiver screens we need to do both like and like last week where if you remember the play that we gave up where uh jerry and campbell ran into each other do that takes literally steal that play have Jamo lined up behind Amon Ra. Amon Ra does the, uh, a quick five and out, and you have Jamo run deeper in a corner post, uh, well, corner route. They have to choose. Either you sort of track with Jamo and Amon Ra's open for five, and he's got the yards after the catch, or you worry about him, and then Jamo's deep, uh, open 15 yards downfield. If you hit him, you can go all the dis- you can go the distance. Like, it's just simple stuff. It's just obviously getting it there because you've got obviously with um you can only really install i think it's like i read things like you can only install seven new plays in a week and that's on a normal week because obviously you have to get all the practice reps it's just a short week so it might just be we'll install one more one new play that might be that play in there hopefully that's the play we pull out on like a third and seven on their 42 yard line in the fourth quarter when hope well hopefully it won't be in a situation where we're only like we're only free up and we really need to get a touchdown to keep the pressure on but that's the kind of play we want in that situation because we need to plan for that eventuality because if Sunday showed us anything any given Sunday like we were going to that game thinking we should decimate the Bears and for the most part they nearly decimated us all right we're going to move on to briefly talk about the rest of Thursday's games um we may talk Sunday's games on the review show I think so Obviously, it's an all-NFC affair. Uh, Packers at Lions, we've just spoken about. Following that is going to be Commanders at Cowboys. And 
I mean, this commander's team is just a proper Jekyll and Hyde size. And the Cowboys dominant when they want to be, but they've had a few stinkers as well. I mean, they've lost to a worse team than the Cowboys, in my opinion, in the Cardinals this year. It's at Dallas, obviously, tradition. It should be an easy win for the Cowboys, but I don't think anyone can say that's nailed on, Ash. Exactly. Like, Sam Howell... Oh, yeah, it's when it's again, it's one of the things we say away. If he doesn't turn the ball over, somehow it's been a pretty damn good quarterback for the commanders. Like, they've definitely got some things to think about. Like, if you've maybe upgraded that offensive line a bit more, maybe get another receiver, though, to be saying that I think we can just ask Ant how Terry McLaurin's going and maybe we say they're underutilizing him. But the commanders have weapons to beat the Cowboys. It is really going to be a battle of can Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland force Howell into bad throws and capitalise on them because if not, the commanders, I, I have faith they could probably keep pace with this Cowboys offence because, yeah, CD Lambs have a, a bit of a breakout in the slot, but their run game's non-existent. Like, what happened to Tony Pollard? Like, yeah, he went from being that sort of good fancy running back that people get in, like, the seventh round to suddenly gets you, like, a good, like, he's an RB1 by the end of the year. This year he's the RB one. He's kind of fallen off a cliff, like non-existent. So, yeah, yeah, it's been weird. A uh, little bit of breaking news: Michael Thomas, the wide receiver for the Saints, has gone onto IR. He's going to miss the Lions game, which it, is nice. Uh, practice reports out as well, basically same as yesterday. So okay, nothing to There we go. Fair enough. And then the late game tomorrow is for tomorrow Thursday. Even we're not on Wednesday yet. It's still Tuesday on Thursday night is 49ers at Seahawks. And I'm looking forward to that game no end because basically whoever wins, we win too. Exactly. Like, I still kind of... I, I'm looking forward to it, as you say, because not just because of that, but just because these two usually do harm, go hammer and tongs on each other. Like, it's usually a really good watch. So Purdy and uh, Purdy Ayuk versus Gino Lockett and DK. It's, despite the 49ers having one of the best defensive lines in the league. Secondary hasn't been really been that, so it's again, it's going to be a, it might be a shootout again. Seahawks at home are a force and it's an in-division game. It's always going to be funky. And the reason I say whoever wins, we win is because, you know, if San Francisco win, that's probably the less good scenario, but it means that Seattle go that much further towards falling out of the playoffs altogether, which I think is something that I'm not so super, uh, uh, Superstitious. So that's the one superstitious guy, but it'd be kind of nice not to play them. Um, yeah. So them losing would be great. But if San Francisco do fall here, then that gives us a bigger grip on one of the top two seeds. So I'm just looking forward to a, a really interesting game. Uh, and that's your Thanksgiving slate. As I mentioned yesterday, because it's such a big week for us in ter- terms of um, podcasts and stuff like that, we're going to end the show pretty abruptly here on the live and on the audio pod just to give ourselves some downtime. So uh, I hope you all enjoy your Thanksgiving. Myself and Ash will hopefully should be both on the call during Thanksgiving. There's been lots of people asking if we can eat a turkey leg live on air. I don't know why you want to see that, but to replicate maybe the famous image of of a video of people doing that with, with John Madden. So I I'm going to be doing it. Why not? It's going to be quite good fun. But anyway, the live reaction show, as I say, is going to be 
on Thursday for Thanksgiving. We hope you all have a lovely Thanksgiving with your families. Review show on, on Friday and the college podcast looking ahead to rivalry week. The last week of the college football season is tomorrow. So don't forget to check out Ant and Ryan for that one. Socials, Royal the Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. There's going to be loads of TikToks coming out soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Also available as Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts. Facebook group for worldwide fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide. I know there's plenty of members in there who do the Thanksgiving tailgate. I'm expecting lots of good pictures and stuff in there. So I hope you will enjoy that coming out too. On the website, rotluk.com, for the preview articles, I'm going to try and get one out myself. I think this week, Ash, you're not doing one this week, are you? Because it's hard. Bit... I just don't have the yes, no. not enough time, unfortunately. I'm going to try and do a condensed version, shall we say? Oh. <laughs> Please don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast provider. That really, really helps. To everyone in the chats, you've been absolutely fantastic as usual. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you really soon. For now, I'm looking forward to nine and two. Let's go, Lions One Pride. One pride and fuck the Packers.